In this table series, we have been looking at these invitations that Jesus gives us to, to, to connect with him and to engage with him in smaller spaces to see how he can utilize a meal to transform our lives. And it's been an incredible journey to see all of the different ways that Jesus uses the gift of hospitality and the kindness of welcome to invite us into a deeper relationship of him and, and to understand his character and his heart. Last week, we heard from my mentor, uh, Pastor John Hampton, who gave us a great message about how Jesus invites us into rest at the table. And today, I'm excited to continue on in our table series by looking at a different kind of invitation that Jesus gives us, and he brings us to a different kind of meal. He meets us at the kind of meal that, to be honest, I'm not all that interested in, because the meal that Jesus brings us to is breakfast. Now, quick raise of hands. How many of you guys are breakfast people, breakfast people? And how many of you, like me, are like, I don't really need breakfast, right? That's, that's kind of it, right? Okay, we're about, about half in the room, right? Jesus is going to invite us to breakfast. So, so help me out here. I'd love to know kind of what we've got in the room. Uh, just a couple of this or that's here. Uh, how many of you would say between waffles or French toast? Where are my waffles people? Waffles? Okay. French toast. Where are my French toast people? Okay. Good. Good, good. I, I see that. Okay. Uh, eggs. Eggs. Let's do scrambled eggs people. Scrambled eggs people. Okay. Fried eggs people. Fried eggs people. No eggs people. You're my people. All right. Yeah, I just can't, they can't stand them. All right. Good. Last one. Last one. Um, all right, where, am I, where are my bacon people? My bacon people versus ham. Bacon, ham, ham. Yeah, that's right. Get out of here. Find another church, all right? Yeah. Bacon, right? Of course, of course. Breakfast, breakfast. It's in, as my wife says, it's the most important meal of the day, which she tells me every morning as I don't eat it and just have my coffee black. Today, Jesus is going to invite us to a breakfast table. And as he does, it's a really interesting story. If you have your Bible, you can go to John chapter 21. That's where we're going to be, John chapter 21. But this story is uh, quite interesting. In fact, I think in order to understand it, I need to give you some context before we get to the breakfast, some context before the breakfast. You see, uh, John chapter 20 really does serve as the end of John's gospel. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the first time that I realized that there were end, uh, extra scenes at the end of the credits in a Marvel movie. Do you guys remember this moment? Uh, it was 2008 for me, and my friend said, hey, listen, when you go see Iron Man, do not leave the theater. Wait until after the credits roll because there's an extra scene. And I thought my friends were playing a prank on me, right? Because up until that point, a movie ended, and then when it ended, the, the kind of credits went, and that's how you knew the movie was over. They're like, no, listen, man, you've got to wait till the end. You've got to wait till the end. And I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to do that. But then when the movie's over, everybody's still kind of sitting in the theater, and I'm like, all right, maybe there's something that's going to happen. The credits roll, and then... Samuel L. Jackson shows up on the screen, and that's what sparks this kind of Avengers story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has made billions of dollars. It was innovative at that time, right? An extra scene after the end credits. Well, John chapter 21 is a lot like that. It is an extra scene after the end credits. In fact, John wraps up his gospel in chapter 20. And the last things that John gives us in John 20 is that Jesus resurrects. That seems like a pretty big part to, to make sure that's in the story. Then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, the disciples. He even appears to Thomas. Thomas who said, listen, if I cannot uh, see him with my own eyes and touch his wounds with my hands, I will not believe. And then after all of these last Moments and scenes, John ends his biography of Jesus by saying this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the end of the book. Roll credits. Uh, get up out of the movie theater. Netflix is taking you back to the home page. That's where it's supposed to be over. In fact, some scholars believe that John chapter 21 was actually written by John after he had finished his original work because there was a story about a man that had been left unresolved. Jesus appeared to the disciples. Uh, Thomas had his encounter with Jesus. Mary Magdalene had her encounter with Jesus. And yet, there is one character whose story, whose life, it's, it's unresolved. There's one person who, in many ways, has been left kind of with a, a reputation that's been drugged through the mud. There's a person whose story is incomplete at best, and if we're honest, a little bit of an embarrassment if that's where it ends. So in John chapter 21, we get the extra scene after the end credits. And it goes this way. Afterward, Jesus again appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And this is important to note. Every other time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples, it had been in Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee. This is a different place. It's a different venue. It's a different location. So if you could imagine for a moment, it's as if the movie has ended and the opening scene is back to the Sea of Galilee where Jesus started his ministry. And then we find in verse 2 this, it happened this way, that Simon Peter, the camera begins to zoom in on one particular person, and his name is Peter. Would you say Peter with me on the count of three? One, two, three, Peter. Peter was there. Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that was James and John, and two other disciples were together. How many of you are like, man, I feel bad for the two disciples, you know? Everybody else gets named, and John, as he's like writing the story, he's like, yeah, they don't matter, right? Like, that's tough. And Peter goes on, and he says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Peter. Peter is... The man whose story has been left unresolved. Peter is the main character in the extra scene after the end credits. Because Peter's story is, it's a story of failure. In fact, Peter's story is ended by Matthew and by Mark and by Luke. And perhaps one of the most embarrassing failures you could imagine. All four gospel account writers account for and remember this moment when when Peter did the thing he said he would never do, where Peter made the choice he said he would never make, when, when, Peter, when Peter botched it, and Peter failed, and Peter fell short. Luke chapter 22 probably captures this moment the best. The, the image here is Jesus is heading towards his trial. He's been captured and seized. And Peter, just before this, has told him, Jesus, no matter what happens to you, I will be faithful to the end. And we find in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, that then seizing him, they led Jesus away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire, pay attention to that, in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with him. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this man, Peter, he was with Jesus. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. And Peter's voice begins to raise, man, I am, I am not. He's denying his relationship with Jesus. And then about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. We know his accent. That guy, he was with Jesus. 
And Peter, indignant and angry and self-protective, trying to hide himself, yells, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then verse 61, it just crushes me every time I read it. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. As in, Peter would tell Jesus face to face, I'll never leave you, I'll never betray you, I'll be with you to the end. And Jesus, Jesus chained by Roman guards, awaiting trial. Jesus, in his most vulnerable state, would perhaps hear Peter yelling, I don't know him. And across the courtyard, they would lock eyes. And this would be the last interaction they would have before Jesus heads to the cross. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And like any of us would, human beings that we are filled with shame and guilt and regret and perhaps even disgust in himself, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter has failed. Peter has fallen short. Peter has done the thing he promised he would never do. Do you know what that feels like? Quick raise of hands. How many of you would say, I've failed before? Anybody going to raise your hand yet? If you're not raising your hand, you're failing right now. Because we all have, right? We all know what it feels like to fall short of our standard. We all know what it feels like to betray a friend or a relationship. Perhaps even right now we're sitting in the room and we feel like a failure. We feel like we've done too much, messed up too much. And, and yeah, we check in the kids and yeah, we're here, but, but our marriage is barely holding on. Or for others of us, it's we know somebody who's experiencing or feeling like a failure right now. And, and we wonder, what can we do to help them? And here's what I do know is that for all of us, whether or not it's tomorrow or next month or next year or 10 years from now, there will be a moment in our life where we fail, where we feel like a failure and we feel like there's no coming back. And the question for us today is, what did Jesus do when Peter failed? What did Jesus do when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, up until chapter 21, had closed the books on all of their stories, and there was no story of redemption for Peter. He was the guy who failed. What does Jesus do? And perhaps even more specifically, what does Jesus do when you fail? Well, I would say that Jesus... Jesus invites us to breakfast. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that in the next few moments you would help guide us and lead us. That as we see the extra scene after the end credits that you would see and help us see that you're writing an extra scene in our life as well. That if there's breath in our lungs, our story is not done. That God, where we like to put a period, you tend to put a comma. And that God, you have a story that you are writing so God, for those of us that feel like failures today, would you give us hope? For those of us that know people that are walking through it and it is hard, would you give us insight? And God, for all of us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give the wisdom we need today to put away 
in our emotional and spiritual account for the day when inevitably that story is ours. These are the things we pray today. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Three reminders for when you feel like you failed. That's the context for today's message. If you're taking notes, three reminders for when it feels like you've failed. The first one is this, sit with Jesus. Sit with Jesus. John 24 continues, and we find this in verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, if you're thinking, I think I've heard this story before, the answer is you have. Because this is a very similar story to the story that Jesus uses to call his disciples three years earlier near the Sea of Galilee. He's using the same language. Fishermen go out to fish. They can't catch anything. He asks them if they've caught anything. They're irritated by the question. He tells them to throw their nets out to the right side as if they haven't already tried that. So they do it anyway. And what happens? It gets filled up with fish. And then at that point in verse 7, it says this, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. The disciple whom Jesus loved is John. John is the one who is writing the story. Anybody like, come on, John. It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Sit with Jesus. You know, scholars look at this text and they find it pretty interesting that Peter makes the choices that he makes. And on face, they may not seem absurd, but they are, in fact, pretty absurd. I mean, Peter jumps into the water when he's 100 yards away from Jesus because he wants to beat the disciples to the shore so that he can meet with Jesus. But mental note, what is faster, staying in the boat and going to shore or trying to swim 100 yards? The answer is staying in the boat. Like this is a Forrest Gump moment. This is Forrest Gump finding Jenny at the Washington Mall, running across the water, Jenny. Like that is this moment. And scholars tell us that this is at best virtue signaling from Peter. He's trying to convince Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm one of yours. Jesus, I'll do anything for you. But then it even gets a bit more intense, right? Because Jesus, who's already got a fire going, already has bread cooking, already has fish available. There's only seven guys, right, that are going to eat this meal plus Jesus. Jesus says, hey, guys, would you grab me a couple more of the fish that you just caught? I mean, that I caught and gave you. Would you just give me a couple more of those fish? And Peter, instead of going and getting a couple of fish, decides to prove that he can do it. And he carries all 153 fish to Jesus. And what we see in this text is that, is that Peter is trying really hard to prove to Jesus that he deserves a seat at the table. Like they haven't talked about the fact that Peter's betrayed him. They haven't talked about the fact that, that Peter is, has really left him at his greatest need. No, Peter's trying to make up for what he knows is wrong by doing a lot of good things. Does that sound like anybody you know? Don't we do this in our relationships? 
Like we know we've hurt somebody, so we just try to do a couple more things, right? It's like the dad who's been away from home for forever and doesn't see the kids and tries to buy expensive Christmas gifts at Christmas to make it all better. This is Peter. Peter gets half of the gospel at this point. That God wants him, but Peter has not gotten the second and most important half, which is that God doesn't need anything from him. And I think in our relationship with God, we can do a similar thing. We, we can try to take our bad breakfast and prove to Jesus that, that we've got something to bring to the table. Now, uh, when Stacey and I were first married, I watched in romantic comedies that the wise thing to do was to uh, make breakfast in bed for your spouse. You guys, you've seen these moments, right? And so I remember early on in our marriage, I would make Stacey breakfast and it would look a lot like this, if I'm honest. Burnt toast and burnt eggs. And after a couple of times of me kind of bringing breakfast to her like this, she just kind of looked at me one morning and she said, honey, I, I love that you're trying. Like, that's really great. But if you want to show me that you love me, just take me to Cracker Barrel. And I was like, got it. And I think in a lot of ways, like our relationship with Jesus can be like this. Like when we fail, we try to salvage what we've failed by, by just throwing on some, some extra ingredients. You ever done this before? You overcook something, you're like, if I can just give it a little bit more seasoning, like maybe everything will be okay, right? Like some of us are like, all right, you know what these eggs need? Like maybe, maybe the burn will go away if I just throw some hot sauce on it, right? It's like, I don't know if that's going to work, you know. And then, and then for others of us, right, it's like, oh, you know what, you know what, adobo, adobo fixes everything. Can we agree, right? It's like, there's no doubt, adobo, like that, that might do it, right? It's like adobo, like a little bit of that, a little bit of prayer, you know, amen, like we'll be all right. You know, like that's all we need, a little bit of adobo, right? Or, you know, if you're like an American and you're like, you know what, I don't like flavor at all. You're like, you know what, ton of ketchup. <laughs> ton of ketchup. Yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Or, or, you know, like maybe, maybe you're, you're like me and there's like particular ways that you learned in your family. This is Outer Bridges, uh, Royal Full um, Hot Rum Pepper Sauce. This is my last name. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to say, take credit and say that we own this company, but, uh, but I'd be retired if we did. All right. Um, uh, but like there's like family ways that we handle stuff, right? It's like, this is how I learned how to make things right in my family. Or this is how I learned how to, how to you know, kind of work things over when, when, we, when we did something wrong, right? And then, and then you're like, you know what? Like, Jesus, here's what I'll do. Like, here's what I'll do to make it right. I'm just going to put all my family trauma on this and everything's going to be, be better. And what ends up happening is we try to, we try to salvage something that's not salvageable. We just think if I, if I pray more, if I just, if I pray more, if I, if I give more, if I attend more services, if I, if I just try harder, if I, if I just promise I'll never do it again, maybe I'll have something that will allow me to, to prove that I belong at Jesus' table. And what ends up happening is we try and try and try to earn a place that Jesus has already given us freely. And I wonder, when you feel like a failure, do you find yourself choosing to say, I can just sit with Jesus because I don't need to bring my broken breakfast and try to prove that it's not that broken because he's already prepared a breakfast for me. The text told us that, didn't it? 
that Jesus already had the fire burning and the fish prepared and the bread ready. He already had what was needed. He just wanted Peter to sit with him. My question to us today would be this. Where have you been trying to prove instead of just trusting Jesus to provide? Sit with Jesus. The story continues, though, and three reminders to remember when you feel like you failed. The, the second one would be this, trust the process. Trust the process. As they're sitting down there at the table, we find this in John 21, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Peter, calm down, man. You're doing too much. Just come and sit down and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now I want you to take a moment and imagine that you're Peter in this moment. You and Jesus have not talked about the thing that everybody knows that you need to talk about. And maybe you're like my personality, you want to just get it over with, right? Like before we pray for the meal, Jesus, can we just talk about what needs to be happening? Like before we pray, Jesus, by the way, Jesus, do we need to pray if you make the meal or is it pre-blessed? Like how does that work, right? But Jesus, can we talk about the thing that we need to talk about? Or perhaps you, you're more like an avoider. You're like, I don't know if I want to talk about it. But man, when everybody takes their seat at the table, you're going to sit as far away from Jesus as possible because you don't want to make eye contact with him. And here's, here's Peter. Peter, who is sitting on the side of the Sea of Galilee, where three years earlier Jesus invited him into the greatest adventure of his life and the best friendship he would ever have. Peter, who's sitting here having a breakfast with his Savior. And we find that Jesus has no problem in allowing it to be awkward. Jesus has no problem in allowing there to be tension. Jesus does nothing to address what Peter has done. Peter's just sitting and waiting, and it is awkward. I mean, imagine the small talk, right? It's like the disciples know that Jesus and Peter need to do their thing. Peter knows and Jesus knows and everybody knows, but it's not happening. Like imagine the small talk over breakfast. So Jesus, um, that's a nice, uh, nice resurrection body you've got there. Um, you're able to bench press more now? Like how, how's that going? Or hey, Jesus, like, yeah, I heard, you know, between the cross and the and, you know, resurrection, you spent like three days, like on, was that vac- on vacation? Where were you? I and we're going to debate this for the next thousand years, like where you were during that time. Like, could you give me a clue? Like, was it really hot where you were, Jesus? Like, where, where were you? How was the weather? I mean, imagine this. Jesus does not rush the timetable. Hear me. Jesus does not rush the timetable. Because sitting with Jesus doesn't mean that everything gets solved. The text tells us that when they had finished eating, in other words, after the meal was over, After some time, Jesus would look at Peter and say, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the these that he was referring to were the other named disciples and the two guys who apparently weren't important to be named. (laughs) Do you think you love me more than these guys? And at that moment, Peter knows what Jesus is doing and the disciples know what Jesus is doing because Peter, a couple of days or weeks earlier, looked at Jesus in front of all the disciples and said in Matthew 26, even if everyone else deserts you, Jesus, I will never desert you. And who's the one that deserted him? Peter. 
So Jesus, in front and in public, with everybody around, will say, hey, Peter, do you, you still think you're better than these guys? You still think you love me more than them? And it is awkward, and it is embarrassing, and it is hard. And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you, so take care of my sheep. See, the process of healing when we failed, not only in our restoration of relationship with Jesus, but in our relationship with others, in our marriages and in our friendships, it, it doesn't go faster than we usually would hope it would. And with Jesus, he's not interested in solving things quickly because he's interested in creating a memory that will heal us and help us in the long term. I mean, think about this. Jesus could have had this conversation with Peter anywhere, and he picked the Sea of Galilee, where he and Peter had first met. Peter could have met with Jesus in any kind of setting, but Jesus chose to have the conversation over a charcoal fire, which was the very kind of fire that Peter denied Jesus at. And at, at face, you might say, man, Jesus, this seems kind of harsh, but it's not harsh, it's kind. Because what Jesus is trying to do and will do in Peter's life is hold him accountable for his choices and then invite him into right relationship with him. It's why Jesus doesn't ask Peter, do you love me once or twice, but he asks him three times. Because Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but what? But three times. And the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. The process of sitting with Jesus is not always easy. There is pain when we look at what we've done, and we have to come face to face with where we've broken trust. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? In other words, Peter, I'm going to hold you accountable for every aspect of this. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Sit with Jesus. Trust the process. I would wonder if there are some of us in this room today who are thinking, man, like, I know that I messed up in my marriage, but why won't she trust me anymore? That was so long ago. I know that I messed up in my marriage, but, but why won't he trust me anymore? Why is this still not right between us? And my invitation would be, are you trusting the process? For some of us, man, it was 2020. There's a family member or a friend that said something crazy on Facebook about COVID or the election or politics or race and and maybe you were the one who said it and you're thinking, man, it's been two years and they're still not talking to me. I thought we'd be further along by now. And the invitation is to trust the process. For some of us, it's like, man, I, I thought I was past this drinking habit. I thought I was past this addiction. I thought I was past this anger issue. I thought I was past the, the frustration that I have. I thought I was past this, this issue that I can't get past. And Jesus, why aren't you just taking it away from me already? And Jesus would lean in and say, hey, would you sit with me and trust the process? Because when we don't trust the process, we will begin to resent the fact that God is with us and that he didn't push away from the table. 
I mean, the miracle in this conversation is not that, that Peter can move on from what he's done. The miracle in this conversation, if we're honest, is that Jesus is willing to sit with him even after what he's done, don't you think? And I think we need to be reminded of this in our journey and our story with God. Sometimes we can say, God, why are you not taking the pain away? God, why are you not taking the consequences away? God, why are you not making this easier for me? And God would say, as he'd pull up a chair eye to eye with you saying, listen, my promise was never to take away the pain, but my promise was that I would never push away from the table. And that's the gift of grace, that even in our worst moments, God doesn't push away. He sits and he stays. So when you fail, or if you feel like a failure, or you're walking with somebody who's feeling the same things, would you sit with Jesus? Would you trust the process? And lastly, would you focus on him? In John chapter 21, as Jesus restores Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, you would expect Peter to kind of feel a great sense of satisfaction and gratitude that Jesus has made things right. And we find in verse 18 that Jesus even goes further. He, he gives Peter a vision of a life that's going to be used for God's glory. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. In other words, Peter, I know that you were a coward, but I'm going to make you courageous. Peter, I knew that you were weak, but I'm going to make you strong. Peter, I know that you thought the story of your life was over back when you denied me three times, but I'm restoring you and I'm sending you out to do incredible things. And Peter, here's what I need you to know. It's going to be for my glory and the story of your life is going to be different. The chapters in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that ended with you as a failure, they're going to get redeemed and there's going to be more to your story because where everybody else put a period, I'm putting a comma, Peter. There is more to come. And then he said, follow me. To which you would think Peter's like, let's go. Except Peter is Peter. <laughs> and Peter gives me hope because Peter's a lot like us. In that moment, when Jesus has given him the greatest inspiring speech of all time, this is Peter's response. He turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Again, John, just stop it. And Peter asked, Lord, but what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, listen to this phrase, what is that to you? And then eye to eye, eye to eye on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, like Jesus was eye to eye with Peter three years earlier, he would look him dead in the eyes eyes filled with compassion and grace and kindness. And he would say, hey, Peter, you must follow me. What I found is that it's really hard to follow Jesus when you're focused on somebody else's story. It's really hard to follow Jesus when you're spending your time comparing what they got that you wanted or that their process was faster or that their blessing seemed to be better. And we will begin to lose the fact that Jesus himself, God himself, has a specific, beautiful, designed plan for your life. And it's better. It's better. And there's good news. 
There's good news in this story because Peter felt like a failure. But what we learn is that even when we feel like a failure, Jesus invites us to his table. When you feel like a failure, you're welcomed by the Father. Because Peter's story would not be over. A couple of weeks later, he would stand up in Jerusalem, the very place where he denied his Savior. And he would declare to thousands that Jesus has risen, and they would come to faith. And Peter would become the head of the church, the leader of the first century church. And Peter would write first and second Peter that we would hold a sacred and valuable scripture today. And he would dictate to his friend John Mark the biography of Jesus that we hold as the gospel of Mark. And he would walk down streets and people would be healed and God would redeem every ounce of his story for Peter's good, for God's glory. And I need you to hear me today. Jesus is still in the business of writing extra scenes when you think there's an end credit. Jesus is still in the business of taking those of us that have been cowards and turning us into courageous. Jesus is still in the business of taking those of us who feel like failures and turning us into followers. Jesus is still in the business of taking those of us who are broken and turning us into something beautiful. This is the work of God. And Jesus on the cross and Jesus' resurrection is proof positive. He's done. He's not done writing stories. And he's going to write one in your life. And he's going to write one in mine. And even when it feels like we failed, we're still welcome at his table. Because no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, and no matter what you carry, Jesus, (laughs) he still invites you. He still wants you at breakfast. With that in mind, would you stand? I would imagine that in a room this size that there are a variety of stories and a variety of places where we find ourselves in the story. And so while we're going to celebrate a beautiful picture of the gospel and baptism for three people in our church, I think that there's good news for you today too. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes to reflect on this story. And I want to guide you through a series of responses that, that might be the very thing that God is speaking to you today. When I get to the one that's yours, would you just open your hand? I would imagine that for some of us, the invitation of Jesus today is to stop proving and to start trusting. Like you've been trying to prove it in your marriage or prove it at school or prove it with your friends or prove it to God. God would just whisper to you today, you have nothing to hide and nothing to offer and nothing to prove. I accept you as you are and where you are. And if that's you today, acknowledging God, I need to stop proving and start trusting, would you open your hands now? I would imagine that for some of us, the the next step or the invitation of Jesus has to do with the process. We thought we'd be further along in our marriage by now. We just got out of a relationship and 
felt like we'd be in another one by now and it just hasn't happened. We've been praying for something and it just hasn't occurred. We thought we'd be over the feelings of regret, but they're still there. And you found yourself trying to rush the process instead of rest in the presence of God. And you might find that you're going to begin to resent God because he's not moving at your timetable. But Jesus would whisper to you today, hey, would you rest in me instead of trying to rush me? And if that's you today, would you open your hands and hear the gentle whisper of a God who loves you? And then for others of us, our battle has been comparison. They got the thing that we wanted and we're still waiting. Their life looks so much better and that's the one that we wanted. They got the answer to prayer that we're still praying. And we could find that we've been falling over our own feet because we're focused on other people's lives instead of the life that Jesus has invited us to follow him into. And if you find yourself captive to comparison, Jesus invites you to acknowledge that now and to experience his healing. If that's you, would you open your hands? And for some of us in the room, I, I sense that what we really need today is just hope. We feel like our life has hit the end credits. It's done and there's no coming back. The pain is too great. The damage is too irreparable. The relationship is too broken faith is too, too marred and too scarred. And perhaps what you need today is just to hear from your heavenly father that he's still in the business of writing extra scenes. That your story is not over. And that he still has good for you. And if that's the hope you need, we invite you to open your hand as well. Father, thank you that you are moving in power in this room. That you are a God we can trust to write great stories in our life. That, that the invitation isn't to prove, but to sit with you. The invitation isn't to rush, but to rest in you. The invitation isn't to compare, but to focus on you and to trust that you love writing extra scenes where the world loves to see an end credit. And we're believing you for good because you're a good God who brings good news. In Jesus' name, amen.